So, Mickey, talk to us about Deep Work Wednesdays and your recent uh, decision to carve out a uh, significant time every week to focus on projects that require a lot of thought and attention. How did you decide to, how did you come to this decision and what does it actually look like? Well, Well, first, let's give you credit for the title. Uh, I can't. I can't totally take credit for this. This is our. Uh, this is our. Our company has actually been doing this for since the start of the year. Um, okay. But uh, you know, hearing that you do this and or you've started to do this and that you've started to do this on Wednesday felt uh, a little serendipitous since um, that's the day that we uh, that we do it as well. So I'm curious, sort of okay. like how you came to that decision. Yep. So. You know, we're we're doing some internal things here, or, or I am. We're we're modifying, you know, we're adding some additional types of technology to our internal processes and and integrating the that with the other current tools we have in terms of how we, you know, take care of our accounting and finances and how we take care of our you know our CRM for itself and project management tool and our time tracking how we you know track tool and uh, how we track our time and and um, you know putting those, all those tools together takes a little bit of time. And, you know, we implement for other clients uh, and we should be able to implement for ourselves. And we really weren't having a a formal implementation process. And, you know, back in 2016, I came up with my mantra for new years, um, which was don't practice what you preach, Hmm. preach, preach what you practice. Uh, and you know, I think it's time to go back and reflect on it and, and put something in form in place. In order to do that, I needed to have specific time I was committing to it uh, every week to make this happen. Um, and so it was just part of looking at, you know, we were we are coming off of six to eight of the busiest weeks we've had, our team has had, and since I joined the firm. Wow. Uh, and and everybody's been working at 150% of capacity and we're coming off of that. And so, Hey, I had a window um, to reflect and to think about, you know, how am I going to get this done? And, and, and realistically, I know myself and I think part of it is always self-evaluation. If I don't put the time in there, I will go through scheduling out every week and not have enough time left when the week comes to do it. So that was important. Uh, Wednesday uh, was chosen because I just blocked out. I had already blocked out one Wednesday. And as I looked at my schedule for the next several weeks, Wednesday morning was a good time without a lot of other conflicts. So that was really how Wednesday came about. I, I, I prefer to do this type of work on a Monday or Friday. Um, however, um, Mondays, um, for whatever reason, for the next like four weeks are gone. I don't know what happened to my Mondays. I want them back. Uh, but I've lost them. They're, they're completely booked. So uh, Fridays, I really like just chilling and doing administrivia if I can. Uh, and I just don't have that freedom and flexibility either. We've got a lot of, uh, for whatever reason, clients. Uh, I had a couple of my midweek meetings move to Fridays. So uh, that's, that's why Wednesday. But I can tell you, you know, this week has been an awesome week. Uh, I, f- I feel like I got so much done that's just been hanging out there. Uh, so, uh, it's, it's good to have, and it's also nice to kind of look forward to next week. Uh, is it Wednesday yet? Uh, yeah, I like yeah. that. I like that. Um, well folks, uh, with, with that in, you know, inspiration for, for deep work and getting your deep work time in each week, uh, we welcome you to fanatical Fridays. 
as always, our goal is to discuss the traits, the strategies, and the tactics that separate the best enrollment management teams from the rest of the pack. And lots to talk about today, but just one uh, final note on that, Mickey, is I think that it's incredibly important to for everyone, uh, regardless of your role, to find time. And it's got to be more than like an hour. It's got to be like a, a bulk of hours. I like to say four hours. So at least four hours every week where you don't have a meeting, you don't have a call, and you can focus on whatever like that one big priority for the week is, or maybe it's you know the month. If you don't create that time, if you don't literally block it out on your calendar, you will never have that time. Like the the You're whole like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll do this next week. Oh, I'll have more time here. Yep. It'll never happen unless you aggressively block it off and then box out, right? Like nothing is allowed to, like think about it as if you were spending that four hours with your most important client and your most important client is yourself, your time um, or, you know, your your boss or whatever it is, right? So super, super, super uh, important and glad that we uh, we kicked off today's conversation with, with those remarks. Yeah, it's important. Thanks for um, pointing it out. It is important to have. It's, it's something um, I think everyone should have in place if you just like you said Zach if you've got a project you'll never get it done if you don't um, carve that out so um, you know I had started doing and marking out time for what I would just call no client calls just so I'd have time to do basically minutes trivia stuff and it would be an hour or two hours at a time and I just wasn't as effective with with that as I am giving me one three to four hour block yeah uh, doing that so um, so I'm much happier this way well I love it um and we have a lot to talk about today. And um, Mickey, I'd love for you to share a little bit about some of the trends uh, that we're seeing that are a little sobering, um, or maybe a lot sobering, um, especially with respect to transfer enrollment. So do you mind just kicking us off here? And um, there's an Inside Higher Ed article that came out uh, earlier this week. Um, and then you have some just anecdotal stuff that you wanted to throw into just about um, what's happening with with the transfer population and uh, what's you know how this might be sort of a, a microcosm for enrollment uh, a little bit more generally. So do you want to just kick us off by talking about some of these trends and um, specifically what you think is most no- noteworthy about about them and you know what we might be able to do in response to to the reality sure yeah and it, you know the you know it had been on my mind a little bit and then uh, inside higher ed dropped this article and it, and it was pulling uh information from the national student clearinghouse you know transfer enrollment being down about 4.7 percent compared to last fall and you know a lot of folks including myself you know back in june um we're thinking, you know, this might be an opportunity for institutions to work with a, a new transfer uh, student enrollment, thinking a lot of folks are unsure. Are they going to go back to school? They may not want to be online with that institution. Maybe they'll um, stay closer to home. Maybe they'll look at two-year institutions. And, and you know, what comes out is they didn't transfer. In fact, transfer enrollment's down 4.7%. And I think, you know, transfer numbers were down pretty much in every category except for transfer students from two-year institutions moving upward to four-year institutions. That actually was up a little bit, not necessarily degree attainment, 
but students leaving earlier than waiting for that degree to get to the four-year institution. And, and it, the article touches on it, and I would very much agree with what was being said in the article. And the reason um, for, that we believe that that would be the case is really the four-year institutions are becoming more assertive. You know, their numbers are down. Yeah. They make them up four-year institutions or much more likely to have a robust built-out recruitment team and operation than community colleges. And I, again, I'm saying recruitment because that's different than just admissions, but having a recruitment team. And so they are uh, much more assertive there and more able to pivot and work, identify that population in their pipeline and begin working with them to get them to transfer and then offer some incentives or maybe scholarships and things like that involved to, to get them to transfer. And so I think as their numbers become tighter, they have to pivot to uh, where they can go to find more students. And it just happens to be on the backs of community colleges who are paying some of the price for that. And so, you know, we're seeing that and, you know, I don't know that we're going to see that trend change yet. And, and, you know, that's, you know, this is looking at the past and history, but if we start looking forward a bit, you know, there's another article looking at uh, FAFSA completion rates and, you know, what we're seeing, especially this is for first time freshmen coming out of high school uh, where we are as of October 16th, um, 14.3% we're being, we're down FAFSA completion. Uh, people submitting that FAFSA down 14.3% compared to this time last year. That's scary. Um, so we know we're struggling a little bit with transfer students. We know uh, we see these FAFSAs down. And then I've got some clients uh, in states, uh, two-year institutions in states that have uh, lottery funding dedicated to offset community college or, or create free community college. Um, there's application processes involved. And, and I'm seeing counties in these states that have uh, that are down 80% year to date for students filling out this application for free community college. And, wow. uh, you know, and, and even scarier is the deadline for the application is like right around the corner in the next week or two. Uh, so if you think about that, I mean, that's, there's the potential for more enrollment, um, travesties here, people where we're really down and having a lot of um, dramatic declines with new students, the, the opportunities there, uh, we, at least at this point in time, we know it now versus not knowing it until April, May, June, July last year. Uh, so we have time to try to pivot and and come up from that. But it's scary. And then, then I'll just add one more. And I think I touched on this last week, you know, as we look at how schools are connecting and recruiting virtually this year, um, you know, a lot of times I'm, as I'm talking with schools, they are presenting virtually to schools where last year they would have been in person. And last year they were able to walk away with that with inquiry cards. Hmm. Sometimes they had technology to let students fill out the information on an iPad or through a phone or a scan or something, they were able to do it. But this time, they're not walking out with cards. And so the number of students in our prospective pipelines at the top there, top of that funnel um, are going to be off. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, it is so important that we recognize that and start building the plan around that. Now, what yeah. are we doing to fill that pipeline back in? What are we doing to convert and follow with those that we have? Uh, you know, we've said it each and every week, I think since the summer, Zach talking about what we should be doing and, and, you know, as if these facts. Um, if you don't know the data for these specific points for yourself, how many folks are you getting from your visits? Um, how many um, FAFSAs have been submitted? You know, what did your transfer population look like? If you don't know those, hey, go get them. Go get that data, look at it, and know what it is for you so that you can begin pivoting if you need to. 
Yeah, there's so much there. And um, thank you for just sort of uh, giving us a, a state of the union here. I think that that's super helpful. Uh, you know, folks have probably been following this even closer, even more closely than than we have. But again, these are this is just a, a very, I'll say it again, a, a very sobering reality. Um, but what's interesting, and uh, this is this is somewhat related, um, is so in the in the Inside Higher Ed article, they quote Davis Jenkins, who's I guess like a senior researcher uh, at the Community College Research Center. And um, one of the things that he says is that, you know, community college leaders really need to stop seeing their institutions as places to take cheap courses. Um, and when you pinged me with this article, Mickey, and I read that, I just started laughing out loud. Um, because what's super interesting is, uh, while higher ed in and of itself, there's so much change happening. Um, there's been a lot of change that has been happening that has happened pre-COVID. Obviously, COVID has just uh, accelerated a lot of this this change, and I would even go as far as to say uh, disruption. But what, what was interesting is, um, and what I think is interesting is, community colleges sort of have this uh, this opportunity to really change the perception around their brand, meaning as students become increasingly cognizant of sort of like the ROI of their of their degree, community colleges, many of whom uh, teach courses that um, are skills uh, oriented and have an ability to, you know, help many people get jobs fresh out of uh, an associate's degree, um, let alone those that end up, you know, transferring to a four-year institution, the, these folks haven't have a real opportunity in front of them to change the way that the that culture that at least popular culture tends to think about a a two-year institution and so as i was as i read this and um it reminded me of this startup that i had heard about and i don't know if you've heard of them mickey but they're called unmuddle have you heard of unmuddle no i i'm not i'm not aware of them so somehow i think i think their founder um reached out to us on Enrollify and uh, he sent some some interesting things months ago. I ended up having a conversation with him uh, a, a couple weeks ago. And what's really interesting, if you just Google, you could look at this, Mickey, but it's called Unmuddle, U-N-M-U-D-L. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to partner with community colleges and help sort of offer digital courses or courses that the, the college offers, but sort of be like the marketplace for prospective uh, community college students and the community colleges themselves. But what's super interesting about their model is they they don't want to, they see themselves as sort of like a an asset to community colleges. They don't want, they're not trying to take away, like they're not offering any of these courses themselves. They're just literally just the marketplace. So you go and you buy a course from Central New Mexico Community College through Unmuddle, but then all of the course instruction is going to happen through the Central New Mexico Community College, you know, uh, faculty. So that's that they're again really just a just sort of like a, the marketplace here. But what I love about what they're doing and what I think is super interesting for schools to think about. Um, again, this is a little bit of a tangent here, but on the landing page, like as the user and you're going to like look up this course, like I'm looking at one right now and it says improve your sales presentations and, and branding. This is a course that a business course that's offered from Central New Mexico Community College. And what's super interesting is that as you go to register for the course, the individual course, they give you like, okay, this is, you know, how much, uh, how much time each week you can expect to spend on this. This is sort of the estimated, um, 
uh, course time of seven weeks. But then what they do is they say learners from this course say they have been hired at these companies. And then they list brands uh, that are, you know, very well known, sort of like household name brands of people that have taken this course, at least supposedly, and gotten jobs from these companies as a result. Um, so anyways, again, this is this is tangential. But what I love about this and what I loved about my conversation um, with the founder, uh, whose name is Julian, well, one of the things that was super interesting about it is he said, look, like, we are we are trying to partner with the community colleges and eventually sort of uh, four-year institutions as well who are serious about thinking differently and pivoting in light of how higher ed has has sort of been disrupted. And so anyways, uh, what Jenkins said in this piece, coupled with my conversation with Julian, I just thought it might be interesting to share this with our with our listeners um, as a, a radically different model, but again, in, in the spirit of trying to think about and being more cognizant of having multiple revenue streams in this scary time, doing something or partnering you know, with an organization like an Unmuddle could be a very interesting uh, solution for many people that are looking at numbers um, and looking at the data that you just shared with us, Mickey, and starting to wonder and, and maybe even freak out a little bit about what the spring and, and next fall is going to look like. And, you know... It, it's not uh, over promising news and we don't want it to be doom and gloom. I, I, for me, you know, as an enrollment manager, I, I want to be realistic. I want to know where I am and where I stand and, and what does this mean for me today? And, and what can I do this week to begin changing the course um, for my programs? Uh, and I, and I think that's, that's really why I bring it forward to say, you know, we can't ignore this. This uh, is enough information to say, we need to be studying our own numbers closely to know where we are. Should we be taking action? It's not to say we have to, but at least let's know if we should be. Um, and that way we are more prepared and less likely for that to be um, causing us problems in April and May and June, because we still don't know where, you know, we're, we're in this wave of pandemic where we're saying there's an, the next wave is here upon us. Um, we're seeing other countries have major significant uh, increases in the amount of cases of, of COVID that are happening. And if that's the case for us, then we should anticipate potentially having the school, some of the high schools going back to functioning remotely as well as our own institution. And a couple of things that means to me, A, if it's our own institutions that have to pivot back to remote, that takes work and it distracts us. Yeah. We have to focus on that so we're doing the right thing for our current students as well as for our prospective students that are already in the pipeline and, and accommodating for that. You know, Then if we have high schools beginning to shift, because I have clients that have some high schools that are still doing or have opened back up the ability for them to do some on-site recruitment. Great, but that won't be the case coming up. And, and even if the school doesn't have to go to remote, they may stop you from going on-site there as a way to help um, encapsulate themselves more to protect themselves and allow them to remain open as long as they can. And so that, again, presents more challenges. So there are a couple of things I know I'd be doing right now is if I'm recruiting virtually, I need to have, I don't know, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a QR code up on the screen as I'm presenting. So the kids in the classroom um, can take their phone and scan that QR code and fill something out for more information. I need to be doing things like that to ensure I'm making up for it, or at least I'm trying to collect more information and not just blindly going into a uh, Zoom virtual information session with a group of high school kids uh, and not coming out with any information from them if anyone's interested. 
other than saying, hey, if you're interested, give me a call or, or here's my email, email me. No, let's give them that QR code. Let's do something else. What can we do? Can I then follow up with an email or a text or something to that teacher to say, hey, as a reminder, if anyone was interested, you know, please have them get in touch with me. Um, here's our information or here's a link where they can fill something out that gets them in the pipeline with more information. You know, those types of things. We need to um, be sure that we're having those things in place um, to get all of the information we can from those who are interested in this. Yeah, I love that. It's a very, very important reminder. And actually, as you're talking, it reminds me of a um, presentation that uh, Tony Frago, who's the CEO of DD Agency, did uh, with uh, NAGAP, actually. Um, and this was ooh, this was actually just this week. It was just on Tuesday, and uh, it was a part so you're of. You're thinking like you're you're having to rack your brain to think. You know how long ago was that? I know I have not. Uh, yeah, this uh, week. And, I, and I, well, the funny thing is, <laughs> I participated, so I should. Yeah, I should. Uh, I should have known that. Um, but yeah, just goes to show you what my week has been like. <laughs> but uh, Tony's presentation was on uh, the new enrollment marketing benchmarks. And it was specifically sort of like a study that DD Agency um, had done, really more of an analysis of, uh, and this was just for, for graduate schools, of all of uh, its uh, graduate school clients and uh, basically analyzed, um, you know, 150 different landing pages, 1,000 different blog posts, 100 plus recruitment events, uh, 260 event invitation emails, all since uh, COVID started. And basically, sort of the, the idea was like, okay, what are what are like the baselines? Like, what are what are the new benchmarks um, on things like event marketing um, during during this time? And one of the things that, as you were as you were talking, uh, Mickey, about like QR codes and trying to be engaging during events, trying to be engaging at uh, in person uh, campus or, or uh, high school sort of visits, if you're able to do that, um, reminded me of the fact that he did in this sort of analysis. One of the things that we discovered that he discovered was that sending three or more invitation emails, this is respect with respect to any sort of recruitment event. So whether that's like a virtual information session or whether that's a uh, you know virtual open house or something like that, um, all of that, all of this uh, analysis was done for virtual events. Um, but basically he he came up with what he called the the rule of the three by three. So what what was uncovered by this analysis was that, sending three or more invitation emails associated with this event with at least three different CTA styles. So like CTA buttons, uh, hyperlinks, like an image as a, as a CTA will generate twice the RSVPs as um, emails with the same, just, just one sort of consistent CTA style. Um, and so what, what I thought was super interesting about this is like in the spirit of like trying to understand how do you differentiate yourself? How do you get people to sign up for virtual events? Um, you can double, literally double your RSVPs by including multiple opportunities for people to sign up an RSVP for the event in that same email by differentiating what the actual links look like. So I just thought that, that was sort of interesting um, and it might be helpful to folks. And then, you know, furthermore, another sort of interesting uh, stat around all in the spirit of sort of like the new enrollment marketing benchmarks. Um, content offers to event landing pages. So like if you add a in, a, in your event email and you're promoting a virtual information session or you're promoting a virtual open house, if you add a link to content, so an ebook or a, a, you know, a video um, to, that, to that email communication, 
people will actually, uh, the, the analysis that he discovered what, was that they, they will generate 10 times the number of form submissions um, on, that, on that. So sorry, this is an event-specific landing page. So you're sending people to a landing page to sign up for the event. But the landing pages that included other offers on that actual uh, page. So you might have the RSVP to the event here, but then you also might have an ebook or an invitation for somebody to um, subscribe to your blog or something like that, right? So those pages, so event landing pages with secondary content offers generated 10 times the number of submissions on that page. So people going through forms on that page, then event landing pages without additional content offers. So what's super interesting for that uh, about that, and sorry, I'm a little all over, the, all over the place here, but what's super interesting is that when you're thinking about your event marketing strategy, it's incredibly important to understand that the benchmarks that you relied on last year, you can't rely on anymore. Like you really need to think differently about what is it going to take to conduct an effective email marketing strategy for this event? What, how should I rethink my landing pages? What sort of format makes the most sense in a virtual world? Um, and I, I just think that it's important for folks and we're, we're going to publish this. Tony's going to publish this report soon and I'll, I'll send it out to folks, but, um, people really need to understand and, and that, um, you know, the the old way of doing things, as you were saying, Mickey, it's not just going to come back in the spring. It's not just going to come back next fall. Like, you need to understand your new benchmarks. And if you don't understand your new benchmarks or the industry's new benchmarks, it's going to be really hard to make data-informed decisions on where to spend your resources for the rest of this fall and into the spring. You know, and, and this is, you know, we, we talk about you talk about taking it to the next level and, and how do we, you know, take what we have and grow and get deeper and get better. And these are the types of things. They're not all necessarily earth shattering yeah. um, strategies. These are the ways you can fine tune and in, in a period of time where there aren't earth shattering strategies that you could deploy, we have to find the small ones, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think that that's what we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, what you're doing with your landing pages, things like that to improve your conversions for filling the pipeline. And there are similar things you can be doing for people in your pipeline that you're doing to try to convert more because we have to increase our conversion rate. That is a must. If if we think our pipeline is going to be smaller this year, we have to increase our conversion rate. And those are the little tweaks that we're talking about that begin to do that. This little tweak might get you five more conversions here, 10 more there. The next tweak get you another 10, another five. And those are the things that we have to do routinely at this point. Yeah, yeah. Get the numbers where we need them to be or get them as close as we can. You know, I, I may have said this last week, I was talking with a friend of mine uh, whose institutions, um, you know, where our enrollments uh, for fall was down 28% and we're just happy that's all it was. Yeah, yeah. That's. I don't want. If I'm at 28, I I'm doing everything in my power not to have another year of 28. Yeah. I, I I need a plus or a negative two. Um, anything less, you know, we just can't accept. We what are we doing differently? We have to change it. We can't just say it's the external factors here that are impacting us. There's nothing we can do because that's not true. There are things you can do, um, and they can be internal. It's these little tweaks that begin to make an impact. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, to to just even circle back on one of your I feel like this is like a Mickey mantra, which is that like you've got to know your numbers. You've got to know you've got to know like who's in the pipeline, like what's it going to take to, you know, you want to go from where you are and you want to, you know, 10 percent increase in enrollment. Great. Well, that's not going to happen without sort of a major shift. What are your baselines? What does your pipeline look like? What is your process for nurturing these people? How many calls have you had, you know, in this week? And you talk a lot about like the best enrollment management teams can answer questions about their data. And those who actually like know their numbers uh, have the opportunity to, to, you know, get ahead of the pack because they can read the data and then make really good decisions about like how to increase by the, at that point it's just math right like you understand oh well hey okay this is our baselines and we want a five percent increase in inquiries this week well this is probably what we're going to need to do um and what's super interesting and i think again just uh not to, not to you know beat a dead horse here but like i really 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 want to encourage people this week as you do all the time mickey but like to if you don't, if you can't answer questions like how many inquiries are in your pipeline, you know, how many calls did your admissions team have this week? How How's texting going? Like, what are your, your open rates and click-through rates? If you can't easily answer those questions or if they're not top of mind, that's what you need to do and uh, focus on for this, you know, deep work Wednesday. Like this next Wednesday, you need to, if, if, you, if you don't know those numbers off the top of your head, if your team doesn't know them, you know, like they know their own name, uh, now is the time to to really focus on that. And if that's sort of the only thing that you did next week, um, I think that, that would be a huge, huge win because what I still see so much of, like so much of, even in this presentation, this this professional development institu- institute that Tony was presenting at that I that I participated in, people are just still freaking out and not and and running like you know not to, not to be uh, uh in you know. Uh, crass here, but like they're they're running amok, um, and they're just not making decisions because they're scared, and so they're they're doing just a lot of mole whacking right now. And I think that the best teams, like we are in a we are in a moment where even if your brand isn't like a top tier brand, even if you know you don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend on marketing every year, you know this is the an opportunity for you to stand out. Like if you can focus, and if you can really really think critically about where you're at and what, you know, will help you get from zero to one or one to two or two to three, just incremental steps that in and of itself in an environment that is incredibly chaotic, that in and of itself will help you win. And it's crazy, but like, I really do think it's true. So again, I I know that you believe this stuff too, Mickey, and, um, you know, feel free to feel free to add anything here, but I just feel so strongly that, it's the teams that are going to be able to focus. Those are the teams that are going to be able to win. So, so I'm going to say, um, when, when you're listening back to this, mark the timeline when you started talking about those little details that they're working on, and, and let's, let's highlight that in, as we promote this yeah. um, this week's episode. Because what I'll add to it is this, um, because I know there will be people listening saying, yeah, I, I, I know my pipeline. I'm good. Awesome. Glad you know your pipeline. Um, if we don't know the pipeline, what can we add? Do you know if you are an individual recruitment person, you know, how are your open rates for your specific messages? If you don't know and you can get a report that tells you, get it. If you can't because it's not being tracked, start emailing in a way that will allow you to begin tracking it. If you're not involved in direct recruitment, then you don't have to necessarily know the pipeline, but maybe you are involved in communications. Well, you know what? Your job is to know what what are our conversion rates? How are people clicking? How are people opening? How are people viewing? 
whatever it is that you're helping build, you have a responsibility for knowing some number, a set of numbers. And if you don't know them all, learn them all. If you don't have access and you should go ask for access. Yeah. Those are the things that you can be doing for your Deep Work Wednesday. I love it. And I think that that is more than enough of Zach and Mickey um, preaching. <laughs> we've given, we've put down the gauntlet. We've, we've, we've given you guidance for what to be doing between this week and next week. And that's what we promise to do every week. So job, job well done. Uh, thank you, Mickey, for your time as always. And we'll talk next week. Talk soon. Thank you, everyone.